1: You are inside the qb factory where our magical development dust make dreams come true i am your host michael kiss this is all of course brought to you by the fine folk at sb nation and bleeding green nation and joining me as always to break down quarterbacks around the world quarterback one in our hearts and our minds He is our resident Viking expert. He is Mark Schofield. Mark, happy Assassin's Creed Valhalla release day to you, good sir.
2: I was going to say, Michael, as always, it's great to be with you. Pleasure to see your face this, this wonderful Tuesday morning. And we've talked about on this show more than a couple of times about when we tee up a historical reference. We say, look, you want a historical reference? Just look outside. Because we are living history right now. And I was ready to come here and talk about some contested elections in U.S. presidential history. I was going to talk about the 1800 election between Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Burr and how the House of Representatives had to vote 36 times to break a tie. I was going to talk about 1876 between Rutherford B. Hayes and Samuel J. Tilden and how that election again got sort of thrown into a contentious post-election period where they literally struck a deal to determine the election, but that also sort of set the stage for the end of Reconstruction. I was going to talk about being a law student in the year 2000, living through Bush versus Gore, living through the era <laughs> of the hand and Chad and 537 votes in Florida. But then I remembered, Michael, of what today is.
1: Yes. Today is a big day because what are you doing the second this podcast ends, I'm installing Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and I'm getting it going, baby. And then I'm editing this podcast, and then I'm going to do some some other research. And while that while that installs, and then I'm going to play some Assassin's Creed Valhalla. We have both, I believe, set up our weeks to where we front loaded, you know, everything that we could front load. We have denied a podcast guest requests, yes, uh, Alkawasu. <laughs> Because we have prioritized the right things in our life and that is some, some, some calming Valhalla. We've, we've set the gentle listeners up for this, right? Because back yeah. last season
2: when yes. it was announced that this game was coming, we said, look, you're going to get a lot of Vikings historical references, which we've done. We've given you books to read. We've told you this moment was coming and you are exactly correct because the second this ends, I'm getting in the car, I'm driving to Best Buy, I'm picking up my <laughs> pre-ordered copy. I'm going to start installing it. I'm going to finish my work. I have my last podcast of the day scheduled for one. And then you're not going to see me for a while. Yeah, <laughs> You might see me on Twitter with a couple of gifts here and there, maybe a Scrubs reference, maybe a Peaky Blinders reference, which apparently we're not going to see until 2022. No. You didn't see that one today, did you?
1: Oh, no, that's a Yeah, breaker. because
2: of COVID-19. They're not going to be ready until 2022. Oh. The bleak midwinter is here. But yeah, we've <laughs> cleared the decks, as they say. For Assassin's Creed Valhalla, it's a glorious day.
1: So stop listening to this podcast. Go pick up a set. Yeah, and it's funny. I was I was streaming last night with Liam Jenkins on Twitch. We were playing Warzone, and, and I, one of the ideas that I've kicked around because I've got this whole PC setup now and HD webcam and whatnot, and like I don't just want to stream Warzone like everybody else. When I start streaming, which is probably going to be you know at the end of the season, but like with Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Civilization VI, which I play a ton. Like I, I want to make a bunch of different notes and whatnot and essentially give like history tidbits throughout the entire stream. And I think Vikings would be perfect for that with Valhalla. So that's something that I'm excited for. Uh, obviously, I got to execute it. So hopefully I don't tease it and then give you absolutely nothing as I just nap away <laughs> the entire spring and summer. But anyway, that that's something that you could possibly look forward to. What you have to look forward to today is we're going to talk some Carson Wentz. We're going to kind of recalibrate. Do like a midseason performance review. We'll get some thoughts from Mark on that. Also, Daniel Jones is the upcoming enemy opponent for the Philadelphia Eagles. So we're obviously gonna have to touch on his wacky, wacky football game. But Mark, there there was an interesting article that I saw, and you're in it. It's from our friend Mike K from NJ.com. The headline is: What's wrong with Eagles? Carson Wentz? Can he be fixed? Here's what the experts said. You are listed among the experts uh, quoted throughout the article as Danny Cannell, uh, also Ron Jaworski, if you ever heard of him. uh, And then you, Mark Schofield, are in the article. And what they're trying to figure out is what's wrong with him. Can it be fixed? So on and so forth. So as far as your contributions go, when you take a look at Wentz's game right now in his season and currently on the season, he is 28th in QBR. He is 32nd in adjusted net yards per attempt. He is 31st of 38th in, in in PFF grade out of quarterbacks that have taken a minimum of 20 percent of the snaps. So it has not gone well. Uh, but what do you see from from his game overall to this point, at this standpoint, why he has uh, why he has struggled?
2: Yeah, I I think the best way to sort of tee this up and frame this discussion is actually a quote from Danny Connell. And as an aside, look. To get looped in with Jaws and Danny Cannell. I mean, really? It's one of those like imposter syndrome moments where you're like, really? Me? But okay. You know, Cannell is quoted in the piece as saying, I feel like he's struggling with that risk reward decision. And I think Uh that sort of crystallizes where we're at with Carson once, because, you know, as I say in the piece, there are moments where it seems like he's struggling to try to balance being this sort of aggressive gunslinger that might be at his core who he is and the more conservative, risk-averse type of quarterback that you know maybe Doug Peterson in a sense wants or maybe this team needs right now. And if you look at that game against Dallas and all the things we talked about last week going into that game, you're playing Ben DiNucci. This is a woeful defense. You don't need to take those chances. Let the Broncos stay in the stable. What did he do? Right. He let the Bronco buck. You know, and you didn't need to do that. And so I think he is struggling in a sense with that inner conflict of just who he is. And as I talked about last week, when I compared him, two weeks ago, when I compared him to Maverick from Top Gun, that's kind of the story of that movie, you know, trying to like balance, you know, who you are as a person. And Wentz is trying to sort of balance who he is as a quarterback. And unfortunately, trying to do that midseason when you're three, four and one And you've got all these other issues going around with injuries and trying to piece together an offense and trying to piece together a wide receiver room. It's a hard thing to do. And so I think that's where we're at. We're trying to figure out can he walk that line and sometimes he's struggling to. Yeah,
1: I mean the the literal episode title of the QB Factory 15 was leave the Bronco in the stable and obviously that was not done. Now that's one piece of it. Another piece of it that has been heavily criticized you know, from, from everybody, and rightfully so, throughout the season, his accuracy issues stemming from his mechanics, and a lot of people at the time asked us, can that be fixed? And it's hard to fix in the middle of the season. You can fix a lot of these things in the off season, possibly, but when you look at his mechanics, how have they kind of evolved, devolved, reg- regressed uh, throughout the season? Is it still causing those accuracy issues? Because I think, on the whole even if you have some of those boneheaded plays mixed in there, if he becomes more mechanically sound, if he becomes a more accurate quarterback, you can kind of forgive some of those other things because the other play will be so so good. Uh, what did you see from him from a mechanic standpoint? Where where do we stand with that?
2: I mean, I think in large part, they are still a question mark for him. And mechanics have always been an issue for Carson What's dating back to his days in North Dakota State. He was never clean and mechanically sound. And for the most part, It was upper body. It was the elbow. It was the loop. It was the right arm in a sense. But now it's become more of a lower body issue. Yeah. You know, in previous weeks, I think they were more glaringly inconsistent. I think if you look at this game against Dallas, I mean, I've got it up right now. You know, that first vertical shot to Travis Fogelman on the left sideline. The lower body is better. It's better. You know, the, the the foot is pointed towards the target. He's striding towards where he wants to go with the football. I thought that was a well-placed, well-executed throw from a mechanical standpoint. I agree. But it's better. It's not completely fixed. It's There are still moments when you see poor placement on throws, and it's due to mechanics. And it, like you said, it's hard to get that fixed and sorted out in the middle of the season. It's hard to sort of get that right when you can only do so much during the week When you've got to focus so much on installs and scripts and things like that. And so this might be something they'll just have to sort of ride out that inconsistency and then try to fix it in the offseason. The problem is, like we point out in that piece you mentioned from Mike K, when you have so many things to ride out, when you have so many things to fix, that can be a snowballing problem.
1: Yeah, and speaking of things to fix, I mean, Carson Wentz deserves his criticism, right? But let's not pretend that he has the cleanest situation around him. They're on the 17th iteration of their starting offensive yeah. line. I think they started more players than any other team in the NFL. Obviously, you know, wide receiver. We never knew. We never know who's going to be on the field on any given down. Travis Fulgham, obviously, you know, we shouldn't call him a practice squad player anymore because he has really shown out over multiple weeks that he is actually more than that. So that's great for Wentz to have, and he Wentz actually trusts Fulgham, which is a big thing. He wasn't trusting guys before, so that's a big plus. But when you look around what he's going to have around him, and yes, they get Alshon back, but if it takes away snaps from Fulgham, I actually think it's a downgrade. When you look around the supporting cast, when you look around all the issues that he have that he has and how the season is set up for them, like, what's the ceiling this year for Carson Wentz? Can he just be a mid-tier quarterback? Can he kind of get back to that, like, fringe top 10-ish type performance? Like, I'm not asking for 2017 you know, MVP candidate Carson Wentz. That guy, I don't think, is walking through the door anymore. And especially in this season with the supporting cast around him and the issues that he's having. What what do you think is the ceiling and obviously like we've seen his floor. I think we know what his floor is for sure. Uh what's your confidence level in him right now?
2: I think cautious optimism is the best way to frame this, Mike. And I know you're I can see you looking at me. And I can see the words Mitchell Trubisky about to like just come out of your face right now. And I understand because that's what I said about Trubisky. But I think that's kind of where we're at. You look at what they've got coming up, okay? So you've got the New York Giants this week as a defense that I think has been better than people are giving them credit for. Um, I think James Bradbury, good player. You know, you're, you're going to see some interesting matchups there. I think they can, you know, perhaps get after – they can certainly stop the run. Um, you look at Cleveland that they've got coming up, you know, if they get Miles Garrett back, great – you know, that could be a better defense. If they don't, you could see the Eagles having some success against them. Seahawks are a bad defense. Like the Seahawks are a bad defense right now. You know, when you look at what they did, you know, what they struggled to do last week against Josh Allen, how they struggled against Cam Newton back in week two. Yeah. So there are some opportunities for the Eagles to be better going forward offensively. But I still think cautious optimism is warranted here. You mentioned, you know, 2017 Carson Wentz. And like you said, he's not walking through that door. Yeah. Like he's not coming back. And so that's probably not a realistic hope. I think the hope here is the offense does enough that Carson gets back to sort of that QB 15, QB 18 type realm rather than QB like 25, 27 mm-hmm. where he's been right now. And you do enough to sort of win some games here and keep your lead in the division. The, the game that going forward scares me the most is week 17 in Washington. Mm. You know, because we saw what this defense can do against a couple of other quarterbacks. We saw what that defense could do to Carson Wentz in Week One. Yeah. And yes, they were moving some guys around and they had some mismatches up front. And do we expect anything different by Week Seventeen? Right. No, we'll probably be the same. So cautious optimism. Hope he gets back to that sort of mid-range type quarterback, that sort of tier. You're not going to get, you know, the Carson Wentz of 2017 back, even if you get Alshon, which, like you said. Is that really an upgrade of what you're seeing from Travis Fogum right now? So hope for cautious optimism. Hope you get the mid-tier guy back. That might be enough to get to the NFC East in a playoff spot. Is it enough to make a run? Uh, really? Yeah. I don't know about that. The NFC is pretty good this year. But that might be enough to get into the dance. And sometimes an invitation to the dance is all
1: you really need. So let, let's set up this scenario, right? Let, let's think about what what can we see from Carson early in this game that makes you think, okay, He's got it. Like, what's the heat check throw for Carson Wentz? What's the one throw that you want to see him make to where when you see him make it, you go, okay, this is probably going to be a good night from Carson because – if he's hitting this, he's probably hitting all the other stuff too. What what does that look like for you?
2: Yeah, it's that skinny post route, that bayonet yes. post route. You know where they, you know they like to do it in the red zone at times. Remember that throw against the Rams that was broken down by everybody under the sun. Yeah. You know the one to J. jaw that he tried to yam in there and it got picked, and the mechanics were off, the decision was off, everything was a mess. If he hits that throw on stride and rhythm with good velocity and placement, I breathe a little bit easier because I'll be honest. Part of me lives and dies with Carson Wentz performances. All right. Somebody that stood on that hill and staked their reputation and brand on Carson Wentz. Yeah, I live and die with a couple of these throws. He sticks a couple of those in there, you know, in between the corner of the safety or against a leveraged corner play and trail man coverage. I feel a bit better. He tries to yam those in and misses wildly, and the mechanics look like, you know, a train wreck dumpster fire. Then I have to walk away from Twitter for a little bit because I'm pretty worried about what my mentions are going to be.
1: You're probably going to get the opportunity to see it too when they get in the red zone. They love that spot concept and that route, that yeah. corner route can convert into what they call a copper route, which is basically just like a corner that turns into a post and it kind of has that bang eight feel, that landmark. If he throws that yeah. right at the eyes of, of one of his uh, tight ends or wide receivers uh, in that role, you know, then I, then I think that you're, you're looking at a pretty decent Carson Wentz performance moving forward. As is is heat check there. So that's going to do it for the Carson Wentz side of things. When we flip sides, we are going to talk about Daniel Jones. Exciting times. Is he better than Garrett Gilbert or Gilbert Gilbert, whatever his name is? Is he – Gilbert Godfrey? Is he better than Ben DiNucci? We'll find out right after this.
3: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity – V-A-N-29-dot-com.
1: And we are back here on the QB Factory. Mark Schofield here with me. I am Michael Kiss. This is all brought to you by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. It is time to look at the upcoming enemy opponent for the Philadelphia Eagles like we do every week. And I guess we'll kind of digest this and, and, and start this out under the umbrella of like the whole midseason type thing. And, and Mark I think you know, and and I said this on the SB Nation NFL show uh, with Kyle Posey, the the Palpably Unfair Podcast episode one coming into the season. I was saying, look, Daniel Jones excites me and he scares me. He excites me because I think, and this did not apply to this season, but I think he's one of those quarterbacks that could have a top 10 single season, you know, statistically, if all the things are right around him. Uh, This year is definitely not the year for that But I think he – I thought he had that potential. But when you look at what happened to him this year, the floor is so scary. And really, if you look at him as a rookie to this year, I really do feel like he has taken a serious step back or or at the very least stunted his development there. Uh, Jason Garrett has done some things for him, but I think overall hasn't been able to get his quarterback in rhythm What's going on with Daniel Jones this year? Uh, do you feel the same way as far as that step back from from this year, from the rookie year?
2: Oh, absolutely. And coming into this year, you know, I do stuff at Big Blue View uh, on Giants podcast and stuff. And they ask me, you know, what do you want to see from Daniel Jones this year? And everybody always wanted like a, you know, a completion percentage or a yardage or touchdowns. And I said, throw that stuff out the window. By week 17, you just want him to be a better quarterback than he was in week one. Like, and it doesn't have to, you know, development's not linear and all that stuff, but by the end of the year, he needs to be a better quarterback than he was when the year started. I'm not sure he's going to get there. Mm. I think regression is legitimate, a legitimate concern with Daniel Jones. And in in terms of the situation and the context for it, perhaps it's not unexpected, you know, third offensive coordinator in three years, no OTAs, no true training camp, no preseason games. And so, you know, you could expect as a result, he might struggle. But the struggles are real. The struggles are bad. And it's the same stuff that plagued him, you know, last year and even during his time at Duke. And I know sample sizes can be what you want them to be. And I hate taking one play to sort of say, this is what's wrong. But if you look at that failed two-point conversion try against Tampa Uh Bay, that's Jones in a nutshell. Because that is a, you know, manned beater goal line coverage where you have your running back in motion and you see the safety trailing him. You've got a three tight end bunch to the right. And you know that the safety is going to A, have to chase this down and B, fight through that traffic. C, your eyes go immediately to that flat route. And while everybody lost their minds about, all oh, it was pass interference or it wasn't pass interference, it shouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, say what you want about Colin Cowherd, but he nailed it the next morning when he said, who cares? The problem was Daniel Jones. Yeah, Like his eyes should have immediately gone to Deion Jones in the flat. They didn't. He didn't read it right. This was a one-read design, which was his game coming out of Duke University, and he couldn't get it right. And if he's not, if he's going to struggle on that, everything else is going to be worse. And that's where we're at right now with Daniel Jones. Like he, he's not putting it all together. And that throw, Joe Burrow makes that read. Right. Justin Herbert makes that read. Mm-hmm. Tua Tungavalo makes
1: that read. Daniel Jones doesn't. That's a problem. And look, you look around the league with all these young quarterbacks and how they're balling out. Like, you, you got to get her going. Daniel, you got to, you got to show something. But right now, it looks like that he's just not the guy. But, you know, we were talking about this. Full disclosure, by the way, we had just recorded like this specific question and, you know, something went wrong with the recorder. So we're doing this again, but I want to bring it up. Uh, the, la- the last episode that we had here on the feed was Quick Jam. And I was talking about the trades that the Giants had declined. They, don't move Evan Ingram, the tight end. They don't move defensive tackle Dalvin Tomlinson, the team captain who was on a contract uh, contract year, despite being so deep at defensive tackle. You know, Gettleman likes to keep 18 of those laying around just in case. But when you look at, at this team, they weren't sellers at the trade deadline, despite uh, like all indications like maybe this ain't the year for you because Dave Gettleman is tied to Daniel Jones he gets fired. If they don't turn it around this year, he has no interest in draft picks that may help the team two, three, four years down the line. He's got to fix it now. So what can they do to fix it now, save his job, get Daniel Jones comfortable? Like What does that even look like for him right now? How can they salvage him as a quarterback?
2: I honestly don't know. (laughs) I mean- Maybe you run four verticals on every single snap. <laughs> I, I, maybe like that's Madden? it. Because
1: I like it. Yeah. Just it's just like
2: Madden. Like I love when you're on like first and goal at the one and you ask, you know, coach, <laughs> suggest a play, and it's like run four verts. Correct. Okay. Let's <laughs> let's do it. Dial that up. Because his two best throws against Washington, one against cover two, one against cover one down in the red zone, a seam route, uh to Evan Ingram for the touchdown out of the right slot. Those came on four verts. So he can read that concept. But the problem is he can't read stick. He can't read stick, which is a day one install for most high school teams.
1: I think that's when we five. raised the flag on Mitch Trubisky, too. Like, whoa, look at yeah. this. He can't read stick. Right.
2: He can't read day one stuff. I could drive five minutes from here down the street to Quince Orchard High School here in Gaithersburg, Maryland. In The past couple of years, I know the head coach. They've been in the state championship game of the state semifinals three of the poor fast, past four years. I could find me – their backup quarterback, and he can run stick better than Daniel Jones. I did a video on it a couple of weeks ago comparing one of his stick reads from this year to a stick read from last year, and it was arguably worse. This is basic stuff. Daniel Jones was a one-read quarterback coming out of Duke University, and he's struggling to read one-read concepts now his second year in the National Football League. And so I don't know what Jason Garrett does. Jason Garrett, I thought, for all the – stick to use you know upon there for all the stick he gets for calling bad games i thought he did a good job against washington i thought he did a good job against tampa bay but his quarterback isn't helping him he gave him that tampa bay game on a platter and he like threw it up in the air and then like fell down on a banana peel and pooped himself <laughs>
1: like i don't know what else you could do if you're an offensive coordinator so actually let's let's take this we have some time so let's let's take this uh opportunity i kind of did this on a quick jam explaining actually what quick jam actually means as far as like a press technique for a db why stick what does that look like it's basic day one stuff so it's a three receiver concept to one
2: side of the field with the outside receiver their number one releases vertically go route number two the middle receiver he's running the quick out. okay third receiver the inside receiver usually the tight end which is why might just call it why stick you're running the stick route which is an option route you could sit down just basically run a five-yard curl against zone coverage. Or if you get man coverage or you're walled off from the inside, you run an out. So it converts to an out route and you run away from either that walled coverage or that man coverage. It's a simple read. Okay. The problem is Jones, when he tries to throw that in the two occasions I highlighted in the video I referenced earlier, Evan Ingram turned it into an out given the fact that it was man coverage or he was walled okay. off, the ball comes out late. The ball has to come out immediately, but instead, Jones sort of reads it. And what happens? Last year, Eric Kendricks reads his eyes, jumps the route, and it's a pick. This year, Fred Warner reads his eyes, jumps the route, and it's a pick. Like, the ball has to be out on time. And if you're slow on that, you're going to get intercepted. That's the problem here. And it's not like I'm saying you have to read this outside, middle, to inside. That's where you're going with the ball. This route concept is designed to beat whatever coverage you get. Now, are there moments where you might see a press corner over that vertical and think, yeah, I can take the whole shot? Mm-hmm. Sure. But that's advanced quarterbacking. We're talking about just doing the QB 101 stuff. This is a route. That stick route is a choice route, an option route, whatever you want to call it, designed to beat whatever you get. And when you're throwing interceptions on that, friends, we've got a
1: problem. <laughs> And then you look around the league. You mentioned the younger quarterbacks earlier, and I guess we're kind of close on this. You look at what Joe Burrow is doing. You know, there's limitations with his arm, but everything else seems like it has an elite ceiling with him. You look at Tua Tagavailoa, where he comes in and, and beats the Cardinals – the the Dolphins look legit. They're on a four game win streak. Yes, they do. They're top five in point differential. You know they're mm-hmm. a top ten scoring defense. They're they're they've got turnovers in fourteen straight games, if I'm not mistaken. Brian Flores is a doggone boss. They've got an easy somewhat schedule coming up mm-hmm. over the next four games. Like they could be a legitimate AFC East contender before maybe they kind of fall back to earth. You look at Justin Herbert. The Chargers are the Chargers are the Chargers, but Justin Herbert looks fantastic and maybe can reverse the losing culture there. Next year, yes, I am mistakenly buying into the Chargers in two thousand twenty-one, uh, two thousand twenty-one. But you look at these young quarterbacks, it's got to be so fun for you, Mark, when you look around the league and you, you know, you mentioned Tua. He played Kyler. Kyler Murray is super fun.
2: That game was so fun.
1: There's so many good young quarterbacks around the league. Like, what are we seeing from these guys that just was doggone special? And what does it say about the the position of quarterback? Because for me, I don't see if you agree on this. It is a must for a quarterback now. Not to be super athletic, but to be able to create on his own. I was super – like Joe Burrow is the least athletic of all those quarterbacks. But you watch that Tennessee Titans game and when he got pressure, he was able to evade what Harold Landry twice in the same play. He was able to evade Javion Clowney coming clean up the middle. He was able to create on his own outside of structure when it wasn't there. Is that kind of like the main the main thing for you outside of like the normal like – well, number one, he's got to like actually be able to th- hit the broad side of a barn.
2: Right. <laughs> I, I think two things when you study those three quarterbacks have become apparent as sort of prerequisites for playing this position now in the NFL. And that first is athleticism slash mobility. And you don't have to be Tua. You don't have to be that kind of athlete. You just have to have the ability to sort of create space, evade pressure, and keep your eyes down mm. you, That's the Tom Brady route. Nobody said Tom Brady was a great athlete, but he had that ability to sort of create space. And you also have to be able to decipher and throw against leverage. You don't have to read the coverage. You don't have to diagnose, oh, that's cloud, that's sky, that's skate, whatever. You know, you don't have to be, you know, our good friend, Coach Vass out there on the yeah. field, but you have to be able to understand where the nearest defender is and how to throw away from them. I'm going to quickly highlight just three plays from each of these guys from the past couple of games. First was that Tennessee game. Joe Burrow had a play where he was pressured, climbs the pocket. Tyler Boyd is running the cross route, working from right to left. Burrow throws him open by throwing it back away from the leverage defender, just hoping that Boyd turns around in time and turns the right way. That was wild. And he does. It was wild. It was just a wild (laughs) throw. Justin Herbert. All of the throws, or many of the throws that he has made in the downfield passing game were simply reading the leverage of the nearest defender and throwing it either inside or outside. He doesn't have to diagnose everything. He just knows where to put the football and then puts it there. Tua had a third and nine against Arizona, deep in their own territory, down 31 24. And he throws a curl route against Patrick Peterson with anticipation, but he also anticipated not just the timing of it, but how Peterson was going to dive to the inside. So he put it to the outside shoulder. That's advanced stuff from rookie quarterbacks, but it's the kind of stuff that they're able to do because their college offenses asked them to do the same. And now their offensive coordinators in the NFL are asking them to just do the same stuff. So you need those two things, understanding and throwing against leverage and that ability to sort of create mobility and athleticism
1: in the pond. That's awesome. Look, the Eagles aren't very good this year, and who knows what's going to happen with the NFC East, so if you're looking to enjoy some football, I personally love really good quarterback play from young quarterbacks. All three of them this year are sitting over in the AFC, so go pick yourself a, a favorite second team from a, from another conference if you, if you yeah. like Eagles fans, because there's some doggone good football be, being played by those guys. Mark, that is going to do it. For the QB Factory, I thank you for joining me on this uh, what National Holiday Assassin's Creed Valhalla release day. Uh, gentle listener, we're just gonna get the heck on out of here because we're gonna go play some games. Yep.